Paul, so good to have you on here, sir. Good to be here, buddy. We're supposed to do it before, but you and I, we're both night owls. So we just couldn't let it happen. I had a bit of a debaucherous night on Wednesday night. That's that's a a proper day for a debaucherous night. I went to see some trendy new band play and kicked up into some... I don't know, why not stay up till four in the morning and, you know, do all this crazy drinking and you know what? Yes. Insane. And then I hit you up and I was like, I can't do this thing at 10 because I'm having a summer fun night. Yeah. And I, and who, who am I to deprive somebody of a summer fun night? And thank you for being flexible. Yeah. I'm glad we're here. I'm, I, we're, we're doing it now. That's, that's what's important. And of course the debaucherous summer night is also important as well. Yes. What were you, uh, what were you drinking? I was drinking Tecate's. Okay. Red Stripe beer. I pretty yeah. much only drank beer, and then I had a glass of wine at the end of the night that kicked me in the. But that was it. Shouldn't have had, you know. Right, right. Um, my experience with going to LA, there's a lot of Tecate around. You there can, is. You you can find that relatively easily. It's the cheapest beer at the bar. Yeah. Like five bucks is like the cheapest possible beer you could find that's why i like it yeah good like chicago where you can get two dollar and even one dollar beer oh man that's that's such a such a good deal i mean just just from an economic standpoint i mean that's just a great how are we going to turn that down a two dollar beer a one dollar beer exactly you can't are you from chicago originally I'm from Detroit. I'm from oh. the Detroit suburbs. I was born in a place called Redford, Michigan. And then I moved to Plymouth, Michigan. And then I went to Chicago for 11 years when I was 18. And then I lived in, and now I live in LA for the last two years. Wow. Yeah. What drew you to Chicago from Detroit? College. And biggest possible city closest to where I was born the magnet effect good deal and i had a good time there what'd you go to school for i went to school for music (laughs) i went to music school for classical composition good deal yeah (laughs) it's serving you well now right yeah pretty much i do music every single day so it kind of worked out feel like a lot of people go to music school and don't do music every single day but you you said i'm gonna i'm gonna use this i'm i'm coming here to do this i'm gonna i'm gonna use it i somehow snuck out there with uh somehow somewhat of a career took a while i worked a lot of coffee jobs and bar jobs in between was that was was that your uh your, your main mode is service yeah pretty much in service of everything, you know, in service of the music and the awful patrons of the Italian restaurant that I most recently worked at in the did, pandemic. Did you, uh, did you prefer being a barista or a bartender? I preferred the bartender money, but I preferred the barista lifestyle. The barista lifestyle. It would be like, you know. 400 bucks a week though to be a barista it's like pretty bad 
you know it's like not that great it's yeah it's not it's it's not great no i would make sure i was on the swing shift like the 10 to 3 or something like that best time of day to work yeah and then you're just chilling and drinking coffee and the friends come in and you don't have to stay up late and the customers aren't on you know kind of horrible right i don't i don't like when a coffee shop closes early just speaking on speaking on that point it's like i i'm gonna need some coffee later on in the day or the nighttime perhaps i worked at a place that closed at six and i felt like that was a little early it is i know you pretty much can only go to starbucks at a certain point after six which is like right it's it's not it's not the best but it'll do i i get starbucks quite often especially in the nighttime because again like your point it's it's the only thing that's open you're a night owl huh yeah yeah unfortunately i'm really trying to be on my schedules but yeah in the summertime it's just too much fun to kick it up yeah i love kicking it up or the winter time or the spring time or and now it is california yeah getting into it to an actual question here that i do have for you though when did you start using the moniker Paul Cherry? When did that kind of come about? That happened when I was playing in a band that was in college. And the band was a folk and bluegrass kind of crossover indie band. And it was pretty cringe. And we were kind of playing a lot of shows around town. Started getting like a there's a girl in my college who wanted to be my manager of this band. Oh, I want to manage you guys. And I was like, oh, cool. And then Mumford and Sons kind of came out on the scene. And it was so horrible that Mumford and Sons popularity caused me to completely quit this band that I was doing and like kind of disband it. And just be like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this is pretty cringe. <clears throat> Every time I would play a show, I would be getting people being like, dude, you guys sound like Mumford and Sons. And I'd be like, whoa, no way, dude. Not getting compared to this. This is not the way I wanted, like, folk and bluegrass music to come back in a cool way. I was doing it my own way over here. But people have, like, a tendency to just you know, relate things to the closest possible thing that they know. I was like, no, quitting this, done with this, next thing. And I remember telling this manager girl who I didn't really like that much. I was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to make some new music. Just call myself Paul Cherry. Just going to, I think it's a good name. You know, my dad used to get called Cherry. And she was like, I don't know. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think you should do that. I think she just had her own agenda. She wanted me to keep doing the band she was managing. She's like, I really don't think you should do that. And I, and I, and I thought, wow, I'm definitely going to do that now. How now you you do don't that? want me to do this. I got to do it now. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. And you then I just went by it. Paul Cherry for from 2014, almost 10 years later. Wow. Does it does it feel like ten years that you've been you've been Paul Cherry? Yeah, but I've not done that much music in ten years. To be honest, I've only put out two albums and an EP. 
I guess I'm going to put out another jazz album. I'm trying to race and get another Paul Cherry pop album out so I can say I put out like four albums in 10 years, but like most of them happened in the last three. Honestly, a lot of times it was creative non-flow. Right. Well, I mean, sometimes stuff needs to to simmer for a bit, but then once once it pops off, it it goes. So True, true. Yeah. So it's just story on that. Right. Um, 2014 is when Paul Cherry emerged. Kind of, yeah. Okay, good. And I was just a local guy doing my local thing for years, four years. Do you do you recall the first couple of gigs that you had? Yeah, big time. Were they were I, they uh, at uh, venues or were they or conventional venues or were they at other places? There was a lot of DIY shows happening in Chicago, a lot of house shows. I was playing at this place called the East Room a lot. I don't think it's there anymore. I would open up for bands that, you know, that's a big thing is get opening slot for cool bands like Home Shake and yada yada. Mumford and Sons, yeah. And Mumford, yeah. And uh, I would just do that for a while. I also was kind of simultaneously playing bass and singing backups in a 90s cover band. So that was my main paycheck gig was I was like not able to play any shows with my band Paul Cherry on any weekends because I had to work every Saturday playing in this cover band and a lot of Fridays. And that would be good. That would pay me like 300 bucks a gig and my rent was only 350 bucks a month. So I was like, wow, I definitely need to do this. And I was like 23 or 20. Yeah. 22, 23. And um, so I was like, kind of like playing right out of college, playing music full time, chilling. My cover band was pretty cringe, but we were really, it was pretty fun. And uh, then I would have to, then I would like book Tuesday night gigs with Paul Cherry. And I would have like a rotating band members and I didn't take it too seriously. And then somewhere along the way, I really thought, oh God, I don't want to be in this cover band anymore. This feels really dead-endy. And, you know, all the other guys in the band were 10 years older than me. And I was like, whoa, I could just come back to this in 10 years if I, like, am not doing well with my music. But I have to at least give music a chance. And, like, some of my friends' bands around me were starting to blow up. Yeah, you had lived in the the present and not the 90s for a bit to see how it was. Exactly. And I was just feeling like, wow, I need to give it a shot. And then I kind of said I was going to quit the band and the other guys were feeling burnt out too. So it was actually great timing where the band just disbanded and broke up. And from that, I was able to walk away with buying the band's van for like three grand. And I think I used my exit money but like we broke up and split up the money in the bank account. I think I used the money to just buy our van. And then from there I had a tour van that was like, all right, I just got a pretty much free tour van. And then I was able to, around that time I was like doing my exit strategy of like, all right, I got to have my debut album kind of ready to go. I'm going to line this up. So this is a clean break. So I'm going to break up, get out of this cover band and I'm going to start jumping like right into trying to go Paul Cherry full time. And I was kind of working on that album in the background the whole time. 
And then pretty much right when I broke up with the cover band, actually, there was early, there was some conflicts where I'd be like, yo, I really want to go on tour with Paul Cherry. Can I just go? And I would have to get a sub or, you know, I'd sub out um, to play Paul Cherry shows, the cover band. I'd get this guy I knew to play bass for me. So then I wouldn't even be in it sometimes. And yeah, then the you guy kind of like sub sublease in a, a place like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a little bit. Can exactly. You? Yeah. And then when I would, I've met this guy. He played, he was really good at playing bass, but I never saw him. I just heard about it. And I let him sub in because he was younger than me and he was really wanting to make money and be in the scene of cover bands, which I thought was like, why would you want to do that? But um, <laughs> there is a scene for that in Chicago. It's very weird. And then I ended up seeing him play bass because we did this show, the last ever cover band show before the band broke up. We all played together and like everybody who'd ever been in the band got to play a song. And I saw him play bass and I was like, damn, this guy is good. Really good. And he was like, I was 23 and he was only 18 or something. He was like really just out of high school. I was like, this dude should play bass in my band. And then that became uh, my bass player, Jojo, who's like now my best friend. And he moved out to L.A. with me and he's just been in my band for like the last, you know, eight years or something. So hey, so pretty you, cool. you took your own replacement. You said, no, I know yeah. that guy back. And he was really young. And I was like, dude, you should just come with me and like we're going to go on tour. It's going to be awesome. And then I released this album and Flavor. And then it just kind of did like crazy numbers for me out of nowhere. And I was like, this is cool. This is all working out great, according to plan. And then I was getting great tour offers and stuff. It's like, sick. Let's go on the tours, every single one. My rent is only $350 a month. Um, you know? And the, the the first album was On Top, and then the next one was Flavor, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. The one that's called On Top was just like, I'm a local guy, and I have a tape, and here's my music, you know? I recorded it in my bedroom, true bedroom pop. I did everything except the drums on that one. Wow. And I was like, I listen to that one now. I'm just like, all right. It's okay. It's not great, you know. But I'll leave it up for the history. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh it's already out there on Discogs. Yeah exactly people can see that it exists so why not embrace it exactly did you feel like uh flavor kind of solidified what you wanted to do with the with the band yeah it did when i listen back to it i think it's really good and i don't get cringed out by it at all i think it's really cool <laughs> and i pretty much feel that way about all the music i've released except on top all right, that's uh, that's a, that's a pretty good uh, ratio of like to not liking yet. Hell yeah, I'm like so down with the music that I make. I like make it because I'm down with it or something. Like I want to put. I want to when I make a song, I listen to it on repeat a lot, and then when it like, and then I that's kind of until it's mastered or whatever, and then I leave it, and then when it comes out. I listen to it a lot on Spotify. Like I listen to my own songs on Spotify while I drive around. And like, it's weird that the experience of listening to it when it's just sitting as a file on your phone and then 
clicking on it on the app and knowing that everybody else can click on it too it's kind of a different experience yeah that's 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 wild uh, how how often are these finished spotify songs uh different than than what you what the demos were or the original idea was from the phone to the i guess next phase of the phone sometimes they're like changed like three times and sometimes it's the same exact thing like the songs on back on the music that album they got reworked like three different times and like got pretty much re-recorded each one got re-recorded at least twice but then the songs i did with kate bollinger that just came out those only had one day of work on them like they didn't we didn't we just worked on that each song for one session and then we came back one extra time to like redo a little vocal here and tighten up the little mix but nothing really got like that sounded almost exactly the same out the gate day one as it does on spotify and then this uh, that's this wow and then this one that's coming out pure grooves the jazz album this one was all recorded live like band live takes so it sounded almost the exact same just unmixed from the moment it was done wow so it it, it is it, it it does go both ways but sometimes it is pretty uh true to, to what it was in its initial form i'm trying to just make it so it's making music is more easy and fun and i think re-recording and re-recording and reinterpolating and rethinking everything is just not that fun anymore it used to be fun because it used to be like me testing myself and i used to like the challenge of that but now i don't because it's too much work and i have too much going on so i just kind of write songs every day and then the ones that are the good ones kind of go on the album. Uh, going back to to flavor for a minute, uh, I know that there there's the the flamo the flavor uh, demo, uh, oh, yeah, uh, recordings. Oh yeah. When did you decide like, all right, these these need to to see the the light of day as well? I don't know. I think I did it kind of on a chaotic whimsical tip where. It was the five year anniversary of the album and I just had them sitting in my folder and I'd found them recently on an old hard drive. And I was like, these are pretty cringe, but they're kind of cool. And they kind of like give an insight to kind of the bridging the gap between that 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 on top tape and then what the flavor album became. Because what I kind of did in the gap is I dropped a certain way I was singing. And I used to sing like really emotionally and like, or something like that and then i kind of changed my singing voice and then i think that's what you hear in those demos is like the songs but maybe me singing them differently and then when you get the final flavor album i'm like i've like established a new kind of singing voice a little bit sweeter and less rock and roll i kind of dropped being a rocker you think you'll 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 go back at some point uh soft rock Okay, cool. All right. I'm kind of working on a soft rock e kind of album. You know, something chill. Like Good. Mark Toffler vibes. Okay. Or or like mix with Mumford or no oh, Mumford. Mumford in there. Back to my roots. I literally dude, when I was in high school, I played banjo and I went to uh bluegrass music festivals with my aunt and uncle. 
and I thought the bluegrass music was the coolest music from like 15 on to when Mumford came out and then that shit ruined it and then I never liked it again and that cannot listen to it to this day what would be your reaction if uh if Mumford asked you like hey let's 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 do a tour together I would say no I just immediately no to the Suns. You're not you're not going with actually them. I'd probably get convinced to say yes because it would be so many people in the crowd. The team would tell me that it was a good look. Yeah. You know, they're kind of like the uh folk and bluegrass version of Imagine Dragons. Oh, yeah. In a way. I yeah, think. I could see that. I could see that. Both contemporaries as well. They're, but Imagine Dragons, you know, they're Mormon. They're hella Mormon. I did not know that. Did you grow up Mormon? No, I grew up Catholic. I had to go to church like twice a week. Wednesdays? Wednesdays for catechism and confirmation. Something. And hated that. Was not about that. And then I turned 18. My dad said, all right, you're a man now. You don't have to go to church if you don't want to. But uh, you're going to make the right choice, right? You know? Or like he was like doing this. You you can make your own decisions because you're a man because you're 18. So you better make the right decision. And I said, okay, I'm gonna decide to sleep in on Sundays because I have to go to goddamn swim practice that you guys made me go to on Saturday mornings. So I didn't go to church for when everybody else, the rest of the family, my sister and my parents would go, and I think they kept going for about a month. And then they stopped going. Oh, so you were the first one out. You were the first one to be like... To this day, none of them go to church. None of my family goes. Switching gears back to music here. When did you realize, okay, I got to go out to California. I got to make this this trek out there. Well, in the pandemic, I was kind of planning on doing it before the pandemic. But I didn't really have the money to move which was expensive and then in the pandemic man like the chicago music community that i did have and was sticking around for really crumbled but i was just like oh my god this is so lonely even though i was with my wife like i just don't get everything i i don't want to get everything i need out of my wife you know to like all my needs cannot be met by this one person i don't expect that and I need to be socializing all the time. I have people come over to my house now every single day to make music. I'm like an over extrovert. So I'm like going crazy, but nobody will hang out. And I just feel like, oh my God, I'm just going to take this time now and save up my money. This this community is not going to come back. I can feel it. It's not going to come back the same way. It's going to come back in a more fractured way. And I was, I love the Chicago music community. I love the people in it, but musically, it's not too similar to what I make. It's like, and it was getting less similar. So before that, in the pre-pandemic, my life was like, work at a coffee shop a little bit, go on tour a lot, and then go to LA and fly out to do songwriting sessions for like a week week at a time between tours. And I got signed to this publishing company called Cobalt as a songwriter. And I didn't really know what that meant. 
Um, and a couple other of my friends got signed to that as well. But it was kind of like a thing where you can get signed for publishing and you don't have to songwrite for other people, but you know, your own pub songs will be published by this company. But I was the guy who signed me was like, dude, you can like you're a great songwriter. You can like write for other people out here, or you you can have other people write for you out here. So I was like flying out and crashing on his couch and seeing what the songwriting world was like out here. And I didn't know that it even existed before this guy found me. And I was really blown away. I was like, this is nuts that people are doing this every day out here. This is incredible. And I can't believe that this is a real thing that happens. Because in Chicago, nobody wants to write a song together. They're down to go to the bar. And and I'm, you know, it was not like nobody. It was just nobody with me. Maybe other people are collabing, but with me, nobody wanted to get in the studio and do a song together. It was more like we could go to the bar and we could talk about the albums that we're both independently working on. We can go to the studio together and show each other the music. But we're not, and maybe you play a little shaker or maybe you play a guitar solo on my song. But we weren't sitting there and being like, all right, what's the concept? What is this for? Is this for your album or mine? You know, I have this idea, you know, it wasn't like getting in there like I like to do. And it was just so cool. I was like, this is addicting. I really want to do this. And I really want to just make this my job if I can. And so then I was planning on moving and then the pandemic hit. I got an extra year to finish my Paul Cherry album back on the music, which I did finish in the pandemic. And then I also saved up like 10 grand working at this bar that I hated working at. And I also made these bucket hats. I was like sewing in the pandemic. I kept myself very busy. And I made, I made, saved up 10 grand and then I moved us out to LA, me and my wife and my dog. And we moved out here for my music dream, which I made a song about that. It's called Between Me and Chicago. And it's like, been super chill. It's been, it's been like, I feel like there was a golden age of community in Chicago between 2014 and 2018 of like really cool people, really cool music, shows every night same crew just tons of drinking and chilling and then that went away and then since i moved back here i've got a new version of that in my 30s feels like i get an extension on my 20s except i'm wiser and better and everybody out here is really talented and i just get to i'm obsessed with my my life is so good i'm just having a great time have you been back to chicago since since leaving I have barely been back. I do not really go back. And I think I don't, I think I don't want to. It's just, I don't really go anywhere. I just stay here. And it's hard to pull away for any number of days to do anything because every single day I'm working on a song with somebody and I've got like many irons in the fire. Right now I'm working on three different remixes and I'm doing a mix on a song for somebody and I'm doing a session like in an hour with my friend Ryan and tonight I have band practice and then I have a show on Saturday and you know it's like it just never stops once it kicks up and I don't want it to stop because I don't like being bored but yesterday I took a day off 
which I don't really do either. But that was only because I was so hungover. But I still did my live stream. So it yeah, full- yeah, you 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 get done what you have to get done at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, was it difficult to get these these irons going uh, when you first moved out here, or was it instantly like, all right, we're off to the races, doing this, doing that, and it was kind of it was a resources battle for LA. Like in Chicago, you can get really like you can get an amazing studio like a recording studio for like you can get in on a sh- like i was sharing this place that was a thousand dollars a month with three or four bands and i was paying 250 bucks a month to have this full recording studio with a tracking like a live room and an iso room and a like whole gear rack and everything you need all the gear like and then you move out here and but and everyone's so much and there's so many more people to work with and they're so talented but you don't have the resources to like host so you're going to other people's studios but then you can't really work on the tracks outside of that because you don't have a studio so i was bouncing around from like band metal band practice rooms that i could find to share but you can only get like one day a week there or production studio but it's like 350 bucks a month and you only get two days a week there and it just it was just so hard the first year and a half to find I didn't have my own place I had a one bedroom apartment with my wife and we were getting used to the California price adjustment and I was doing sessions all the time but I wasn't seeing results because if you want to see results you have to do most of the work and so now I've recently moved into this a little back house in Frogtown um and we're in my studio shed right now and it's just it's really chill but I have you know I have a drum kit I have a piano, I have ba- guitars, and this is its own freestanding building next to my house. So I can be loud and I can host sessions every day. I sit in here and I do all my video editing and I, you know, I do shoot video in here. I can do like whatever and I'm unbothered and I can leave it set up and I can come in here at two in the morning if I want. You know, it's it's been much easier to keep the ball rolling when I have my own studio. And I can finish prod. I get projects out the door. Like I can sit here. I mixed, I mixed this whole album in here. You know, I like hit my deadlines because I can do it because I have the space and I have the time. So I think the first year and a half was hard, but getting the lay of the land and kind of in figuring out LA for the first year and a half was like, it was an inevitability I had to do. And I had fun doing it. It wasn't like I was like, struggling through it i was having a blast and now i i feel like the real work is coming in now and i'm like trying to i have noticed that like there's been a little steam or wind picking up with the paul cherry thing and i'm like i want to keep that going i want to keep that momentum going i don't want to slow down i already felt like the pandemic slowed me down so much as an artist um that i just like i have to work double hard to get back to where i was before that and i'm down and i'm enjoying it so just doing that would you have had that that mindset or energy if it wasn't for the pandemic? Do you think that you would have been going, moving slower? Yeah, uh, I would have not. If the pandemic never happened, I probably wouldn't have learned my lesson, I think. Because I think that my, my work ethic was kind of like before I moved to LA, it was like, all right, we're going to just take our time, make the best album we can make. And then when it's ready, the world can hear it. And... That is a great mindset to make great records, I will say, except it's a 
very punishing mindset and it beats you up because it gives you the ability to take forever. And taking forever on something is kind of horrible because it allows doubt to creep in. And when doubt creeps in, you can stall and you let yourself stall because you've told yourself, I will take all the time in the world to make the best album I can make. But every day that you hear the song and you hate it, half of those days you're going to say, I don't want to do anything to it because I hate it today. Like, I'm just afraid of the work. And now my my rate like race to the finish line mindset has let some of the tracks I do like be a little bit looser. Like the bolts aren't tightened down as hard, but overall I'm having more fun and I've enjoyed my life more and the music is just as good. It's just maybe like a little bit messier, but I'm down. Like, I don't care. You know, I'd rather have it be this way because I like want to enjoy my life more than not. And making the background music album was not fun. It was like pretty painfully dreadful experience. Wow. Really? It was like Chicago winter, you know, rolling around in the pandemic, like I like totally gray, dark skies. Um, every day you go to the studio and you sit in there for 10 hours and you're just like, This sucks. This thing sucks. And then you're sitting around banging your head until you oh, I have an idea. Okay, finally. Uh, but this idea kind of sucks too. You know, it's like not fun. How do you, yeah? Uh, how do you deal with with the with is doubt inevitable? That 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 feeling is it inevitable with anything that you're working on? Yeah, it's inevitable. How do you uh, deal with it now, or how how has that changed? Well, here's an example of how it still creeps in for me. Is I have like three songs I've got for my new album that I feel pretty good about, and I showed. On a Monday, I showed one person in my studio on a session, two of them back to back, and they sound pretty different. One sounds like this, the other sounds like this. I showed this girl on a Monday, both of them, and she loved this one. And then I showed a dude on a Tuesday, both of them, and he loved this one. And on that Monday, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the direction I'm going to go in. Great. But then on Tuesday, I was like, oh, God, no, this is the direction I'm going to go in. And I'm just like, oh no, like, oh yeah, there's a lot of people on earth and they're all going to like a different version of a thing. So I can't rely on like other people's opinions about which direction I should go in because it's not my own opinion, you know? So it's just like, even now I'm just like, all right, God, I think I should, I think it's just like a betting game. Like, I don't know what's going to be the most commercially viable. I don't know how much I care, but I definitely do care because when you put out an album and it doesn't do what you think it's going to do, it's really discouraging. So I want to do the best thing I can do in the best time frame and have it be the most successful. I just don't, you just never know what you're going to get because it's your own brain kind of making things out of thin air. Right. You're you're your own worst uh, worst critic. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I know when shit is good though, dude. Like I listen to it and I'm like, yep, that's a banger. We gotta go, we're gonna go forth with this banger. You know, and I know that I trust that. Yeah. Um, with this with this new album that that we kind of touched upon a little bit, the the pure grooves, uh, and this is a jazz instrumental album, mm-hmm. right? When when you were starting to work on that, did you 
did you feel like there was some apprehension towards like, oh, this is kind of different than what people know from what I usually put out? Yeah, I was a little, I was a little apprehensive about it, but I thought it would be better in the long term to do a consistency play and make this thing that is maybe like a different offering for my crowd. Um, but I feel like my music has so much jazz influence and it's like kind of like there's so many kind of cool, crazy chords happening. that It's something that you could have expected from me. You know, like it wasn't out of the realm of possibility. Um, I like tried on my last album, Back on the Music too, like really jazz pop fusion, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, so I thought, and I just, we I'd been touring with my live band for the last year and a half and they're just so good and i had all these little like scrap melody ideas from the out from the last album and new things i'd come up with and i was just like dude we can just make this jazz album you guys are so good at playing like we can just tr live track it and we'll do it in like three or four sessions and it's gonna be so e i was like it's gonna be so easy to make because there's no lyrics there's no concepts it's just jazz music and it can be whatever and we play this stuff live and it sounds so good and i was just like i feel like paul cherry fans would fuck with this and it's going to be a great way to be consistent and not have a year off of an album and i'm learning that in this you know really fast-paced content like you know sphere you got to be releasing stuff a lot you got to be releasing a lot of stuff and i don't really want to be making tiktok videos of me doing cover songs you know i just don't want to do that and i don't even really want to be self-promoing that hard like i don't want to keep being like did you listen to our new single did you you know stream the new single like i don't want to do that i'd rather just keep putting out lots of tracks so instead of it being like me reminding you that a song came out a month ago and you still haven't listened to it yet or pre-save this is coming out in a month i'd rather just like every month there'd be a new song and you're just like oh cool yeah another new one this guy's busy you know yeah but like i already like made these 10 songs in like you know a couple days so it just feels like i'm busier but it's just not the same song i mean i think that that's a big tiktok and instagram reels plays to like drill something into your head by keeping playing the song like every day a new version of the song or i'm singing it acoustic at a grocery store today and then here here's how i built the track on ableton and like i just don't want to do any of that crap it's just yeah. not interesting let the music speak for itself exactly you and let there be let it be like more music not the one song that you've got like but i get trying to run up one single for the numbers and like trying to appear legit everybody's legit everybody's got a logo and everybody's got a brand and whatever i do too but mine's like a little bit not giving a shit about the trad the trad way of doing it when you set out to to do this this uh this pure grooves record did you set out realizing like, hey, we're we're just gonna do a, a jazz definitely. Album. There's this guy called KJC Music on YouTube, 
It's a channel with maybe 10,000 subscribers. And he's a re-upload guy. He's kind of like a David Dean Burkhart of 90s and 80s jazz. And I've been obsessed with him. And I mostly was for like a year just listening to, you know, Pat Metheny and things like, you know, the Brecker brothers and the stuff on this guy, KJC Music's page. And it's got this really clean, it's like this really clean fusion jazz that sounds really cheesy, but really satisfying for my ears. It's kind of like if you got into city pop, Japanese city pop. And then you got into like YMO and then you got into maybe the Yellow Jackets. Then you'd kind of go like that way to further, further in, get into this guy, KJC Music. And he made, he makes albums too. And he kind of like hides them in the uploads. And I was like, damn, this guy is just a radio DJ from like Springfield, Illinois or something. And I just like, I'm obsessed with him. He's like a total head. And I was like, dude, my goal is to make an album that like would slot directly in with this. So this is the page. And look at these album covers. And also this is Fat Burger, which is a really funny smooth jazz band. Um, It's like all of them have these album covers that look like this. He uploads these four hour smooth jazz mixtapes. And it's just, uh, here, let's go to the videos. It's just endless content with the album covers look like this. Yeah endless covers like this and they're all so cool you know yeah it's rad i was i was obsessed with this channel and i wanted to make my album cover like that right i also had a pretty strong concept i was like obsessed with pure moods that um, new age music compilation from the early 2000s and i was obsessed with the pure moods commercial and I was like, I'm calling my thing Pure Grooves. And it's going to be a bi-yearly, every other year series that I do against pop albums. So it's going to be Pure Grooves, Paul Cherry. Pure Grooves, Paul Cherry. Every year, you're going to get a different one. And like I'm just like setting up the pillars of a successful, consistent artist. you know. Hmm. And it keeps me busy. Because so, th- th- this is technically volume one. Pure Grooves yeah. volume one. Okay. Yeah, I like and, that. Uh, I just wanted to make something that was like vibey, like the 80s fusion smooth jazz that I like, but also not limited to just that zone, that zone. Like this album, Pure Grooves, it kind of touches and references all my favorite kinds of jazz of that time. And it references stuff like, you know, Keith Jarrett. And it's got a real like standard kind of jazz standard kind of tune and uh, it's kind of all over the place, but it's got a lot of fusion style. I was really obsessed with this guy, Jeff Lorber Fusion, who's a SoCal 80s guy. He's like an Orange County guy. Ooh, I like that. Um, yeah. And he is a keyboard player who just has a, that really funny major pentatonic solo style. The the cl- He kind of like, I feel like he was one of the first to do the classic smooth jazz style um, melodies, like top line heads. I just love that sound. I love um, I love jazz that has that is like the the head melody or the the main melody is like the focus, almost like pop jazz, like kind of like how Kenny G does it. You know, I'm like not that bad, mad about Kenny G, but I don't love it either. But that's kind of like my style. So I wanted to do something like that. Gotcha. Um, 
kind of taking a step back to those to the cover art of those jazz albums in your own cover art and not just with pure groups but your other releases do, do you focus on that often like, is that a big part of it for you like this is the visual uh representation of what i'm doing sonically i didn't used to do that i didn't used to care about that because i used to try to make the music so colorful that it would basically take care of that like my my the flavor album and the background the music album the goal was like one really iconic vibey looking album cover and then all the music sounds like that album cover like it's so pop colorful and and off kilter that it like like the imagery of the album cover is pop forward but off kilter and the music is the same and i think it's both both were successful in that goal but now obviously it's like you're either gonna pick pick up with the times and like follow suit in some way that feels feels like true to yourself or you'll fall behind and i just couldn't ignore the fact that visual representation of the thing is just like what people need to invest in it Mm -hmm. and to to get there as a fan and so i picked that up and i was like all right for this jazz record this is gonna be my foray my introduction into video work I never did the videos myself before, but I knew that that time was nearing. And so like this, this first single hour night with the jazz album, I did all that. I did that commercial myself, shot every shot. I did the music video myself with my friend. And uh, I just like know that this is what I need to do to stay in the game, especially if I'm trying to push something like smooth jazz on people that is probably not what they're trying to consume that's what i must do is i must like take it all the way dedicate myself to taking that vision all the way to the finish line and then i can be successful with it otherwise it'll probably just fall off you know right by the way that that uh the video that you're referring to in the trailer are both on your youtube right yeah Okay, cool. Those will be linked below whatever you listen to this too, because those those are rad. The commercial like, really set a good tone. I knew that I had that Kate Bollinger collab video that we did that was a big knockout and and everybody really loved it. And I was like getting so much love from people about how good the video was. And I was like, damn, like these videos matter, huh? And so I knew I had to like tee up another knockout because that's how you like get the ball rolling. The videos are going to have to be a big focus for me. And luckily nowadays the music isn't as hard for me to make. So mm-hmm. um, I do have more time in my brain and space to make that happen. But truly I am out here doing it all myself, you know, with yeah. help from my friends. Um, With this, with this pure grooves album, when, when you set out to do it uh, in, in instrumental um, full, fully instrumental album, do you think that lended freedom to explore other avenues of instrumentals that you wouldn't have gone down if it were a vocal or vocals were involved with it no because i think about it like it is a pop album when i think about those songs uh like the r night the one that came out it's a big strong melody big chorus you know you know you know it's like that's a chorus. And then there's other ones. The first song on the album's like like that's a big melody. 
every single song has a big fat melody that is going to get stuck in your head that is kind of the point of it okay that was part of it too is like pushing forth instrumental music that it's really catchy has your your trajectory of like the discography of your music is it always transitioning into something else like this will bleed into the next project and the next project will bleed into the next and you can see this kind of trajectory of where you're trying to go linearly linearly through music not on purpose but i'm definitely not trying to make the same album twice kind of think about it always like okay i've got one i want to put one foot in the door of the last album and one foot out where it's somewhere new and like even on this this pure grooves album nobody knows it yet because i haven't heard it but there's all this radio interstitial work where like after the first song you'll hear my voice come in and be like you're tuned in to 96.9 you know and that's kind of like a back hearkening to my first album where there's all these phone calls and i wanted to put like a paul cherry style spin on it so then you have like these obsessed callers that call in throughout the album and they're like hey cherry big fan of the show um just wanted to call in and say this you know and and then I have this phone number that's linked on the on the album too that you can call me and leave me a text. And people have been, since I put that commercial out, people have been calling me on the phone and I just answer and I say, what's up? Or text me and I, it sends to my email and I can like respond to text that way. And oh, it's wow. just like, it's been really fun, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. When did that, that element come in with like, oh, let's make it like a, like a radio kind of style? Smooth jazz radio, like public radio, you know, I was just like really feeling like I wanted to do a like a public radio vibe. Um, the whole album's kind of inspired by my mom and my grandma who love jazz, or my grandma's dead, but she loved jazz. And uh like I remember just driving around in her car when I was a little kid and she'd have the smooth jet the cheesy smooth jazz station on in the nineties when I would be like driving around going to Burger King or Target with her. And uh, at like just when you're really young and impressionable, that stuff like really sticks with you. I just really vividly remember all the music that was playing in the car as I was driving around when I was a kid. And um, like that, my mom raised me on Pat Metheny and I was like, dude, like I love this kind of 90s jazz sound. I love it. And I want it. I just can't help. I have to do it, you know. And I just want to do something like, um, do you know the nature company no like the nature company is like a style of t-shirts so my pure grooves mood board on pinterest has these nature company t-shirts that are like this oh rad okay yeah yeah, yeah. i, I know, you know what you're talking about yeah under pressure oh that one's rad so i was like i want to do I want the album cover to look like that. I want it to be like a nature company style, like peace, love, and humanity kind of like vibe. And not in the way that like um, online ceramics does it or something. You know, like I, it's not like I don't like it, it's just that's been done a lot. And I was thinking like this on a t-shirt would be pretty fire. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's kind of the imagery. And I think I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm not like I'm not mad about it. It's all adventure for me. Who who did the uh, the art for that? Uh, this guy, um, I think his name's Kyle. He's a album artist, and I think just dude that lives in Philly. 
uh, I got connected to him through my my label for this record, Born Losers, and he um he did the Alex G album cover with the parrots on it. You know that oh, cover? Okay, yes, I yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. His Instagram is Earth and Worms. You should check him out. Earth and Worms. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. that that looks your your album cover looks rad. Yeah, so I'm assuming his his stuff is really really yeah, cool. Crushed. He did all of pastel colored pencil. That definitely invokes a feeling. That that yeah. that album cover. Paul, I do really appreciate you being here, sir. It's an absolute pleasure. But before I let you go, I do have to do some promo stuff. So Paul Cherry's music is streaming everywhere, wherever you get your music. That's where you can uh, find it. You can buy On Top, Flavor, Back on the Music, and the most recent song that we were kind of talking about with Kate Bull- Bullinger. 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 Um, Los Angeles Story. Uh, and you could pre-order uh, Pure Grooves, Volume 1, uh, and can get the merch there. There, those those both are uh, at paulcherry.bandcamp.com, and the pure grooves will be coming out um, through Born Losers Records. Do you have a date on it? I know it's September. September fifteenth. Okay, cool. We're gonna go on a big tour with that one too. Oh, cool. So All right. That. Good deal. And you and uh, Dante Lafonte on Born Losers. Great. That's right. Great, great, great group of people there. Um, and that that's Philly based as well, right? Yeah, Philly based. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, they're they're putting out some good stuff, and they uh, are they're killing it. Yeah, yeah, and the people can stay up to date with the uh, news, releases, shows, and everything else by following you on Instagram. Right, that's the best place. Please follow me on Instagram at Paul Cherry sixty nine all one word. That's right. And um, is is a hidden gem show? Is that coming back or is it still? We did one last night. Hidden okay. gems it happens probably every two weeks. I've just been so busy, but. Uh, Wednesdays at six. I usually have an indie rock guest. Uh, we talk about songs with under a hundred thousand plays on Twitch, and we just hang out. And I am a, I just bullshit. And it's a great, sh- it's a great time. We had Jordana on last night. Um, listen to her music; it's so good. And uh, yeah, that's my live stream show. I, I love it. People seem to enjoy watching too. So check it out. Rad, and you can go check that out right now by go going to the YouTube. There's a couple of the episodes up there as well, right? Yeah, and twitch.tv slash paulcherry69. The last episode is up there too. You can go check it out. Follow me there. Good deal. And uh, again, that's Pure Goose Volume 1 coming out September 15th via Born Losers. Thank you, dude. Thank you, Paul. You're awesome. Um, I'm going to stop recording this. I'll talk to you in a minute, all right? All right, sounds good. Peace. Thank you, sir.